Now this morning, I thought we would reflect um, for the rest of the morning on Psalm 84, this wonderful psalm, Psalm 84, one of my favorite psalms, and there's such great truths in here. And uh, we read as to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, whatever that is, I'm not sure what that one is, but a psalm of the sons of Korah. And the Korah, sons of Korah were Levites. They were part of the, one of the clans, the Levite clans, the Kohathites, who were set apart by David for worship in the tabernacle and temple. They were like our group out here. They were set apart for worship and uh, and singing, and of course we know at times there's a release of prophetic song too, as these anointed worship leaders um, led people into the presence of God. How lovely uh, is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, or probably it's better translated, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts, the dwelling places of God. I think when the psalm was written, of course, um, the thought was the dwelling places, the dwelling places where the writer would have been thinking of the, the tabernacle or the temple where the ark of God was, where the presence of God was. And uh, we could say really looking at the whole thought of the presence of God, the dwelling places of God, if we look at that from a New Testament perspective, we'd probably would think of what Jesus said in John chapter 4 when he spoke to the Samaritan lady who tried to get him into a religious debate because the Samaritans believed that God had set aside their part of the world to be the dwelling place of God. And she said in um, John chapter Three verse John chapter four verse twenty. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So there's a bit of a conflict there, and we can get those conflicts even today between different groups and churches and denominations claiming that somehow they've got the monopoly on the presence of God. But Jesus responds, "Woman, believe me." The hour is coming when neither you, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The dwelling places of God really are to be found in the people of God who are truly filled with the spirit of God, who are moving under the anointing of the spirit of God, and whose hearts are open to what God is revealing in this day and hour. That is not, of course, to uh, negate everything in the word of God that is there about Jerusalem, because God, I believe, still has purposes for Israel and Jerusalem. If we turn, for example, to Isaiah chapter 2, um, in verse uh, 3, many people shall come and say, talking about the latter days, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways 
and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So there is still yet much to be fulfilled about God's purposes for Jerusalem. And it's, it's not surprising that Jerusalem is probably the most contested city in the world today. And I think in the coming days and months, we will see more and more focus in the media upon this tremendous conflict about Jerusalem. But the word of God will stand for Jerusalem, regardless of what the UN or the EU or whatever other international bodies may have to say about who should be ruling Jerusalem. But here the focus is on the dwelling places of God, God dwelling his people. And in verse 2, we read, my soul longs. I'm reading from the New King James Version. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And um, I believe that the, the, the tenses of the verb are not quite accurate in our modern translations. And this should be in the past, my soul has longed. Yes, even has fainted. It's in the past for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I have longed, I have fainted for the presence of God and praise God, I have now come into the presence of the living God. This psalm is often related to Psalm 42. Um, and if we read the opening verses of that, this is a, again a contemplation of the sons of Korah, these anointed worship leaders, these wonderful words we read, as the deer pants for the water brook. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? What passion for God, passion for God, passion for the presence of God. In fact, these Psalms have often been related to the experience of David, of King David, who of course wrote many of the Psalms. And there was that time in David's life when his own son Absalom rebelled against him. And David was really forced to leave Jerusalem. And we get this wonderful, wonderfully moving description in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, where David is leaving the city. He's making room for Absalom. He's just getting out of the way. Um, and with those who are faithful still to him because his son is trying to take the throne off him. And we read in verse 24 of chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, there was Zadok. Zadok, of course, was the priest of God also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar, who was another priest, went up unto all the people, until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And they thought, David doesn't have to miss out on the presence of God. We're going to take the ark, the ark of God, the sacred ark of God, you know, which um, God had directed Moses that the children of Israel should make to be a place where his presence was continually. And the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back 
and show me both it and his dwelling place, which David's longing to be in the dwelling place of God. It was a terribly sad moment for David as the ark of God was carried back into Jerusalem. And we read in verse 30, So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up what passion for the presence of God and it's something really that we we need at times to stir our souls up about are we passionate to be in the presence of God or, or has our Christian and spiritual life sort of settled into a kind of a groove and it's a routine of going to the meeting here or meeting there, but somehow the passion and life have gone out of it all. Mind you, some years ago I saw uh, a film that was set in China, you may have seen it, called The Painted Veil, about a couple in, I think it was then set in the 1920s or 30s. Uh, the husband was a doctor and they, they go out to to China and sadly the wife has an affair, their, their marriage falls apart, but it's wonderfully restored. But there's a, there's a scene in the film where they go to an area where there's a cholera uh, outbreak. And um, the wife meets this elderly nun, the mother superior, who's played by Diana Riggs. Some of us remember she was in the Avengers years ago. Anyway, she's an elderly actress, she's playing this nun. And this um, wife who's had this affair but is trying to be reconciled to her husband says to the nun, well, how is it with God? I mean, I don't understand your life. And the elderly nun says, well, when I was young, I was passionate for God. I had a passion for God. That's why I became a nun. And she said, now our relationship is rather like that of a middle-aged couple who sit at opposite ends of the settee. I hope that's not true of your marriage, by the way. You know, I hope, I hope the love and passion and romance have not departed from your marriage, however old you are. Uh, but, you know, somehow in our Christian walk, we can look back and think, yeah, there was a time I was passionate for God. Um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Spirit, but... It's settled down. But that's not the way it should be. I believe God wants to keep us on fire for him. Passionate for God. Praise God. Verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where, me she, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. It's wonderful how these psalms, you know, written under, inspired, you know, hand of God you know the perspective and the vision changes we have this magnificent opening but crying out for the presence of God and then we suddenly switch on this these little sparrows and swallows it's a wonderful wonderfully beautiful moment and uh, one could say well what what are sparrows and swallows got to do with all of this I think it's speaking of the fact that in in the house of God, in the presence of God, there's room for everybody. You know, sometimes we um, evangelicals are accused of being somewhat exclusive, but I think that should not be the case. We are supposed to be inclusive. 
Just as the, there's room in the temple of God, in the courts of God, for the humblest sparrow or swallow, so, you know, we should have open hearts to welcome everybody who's willing to come in through these doors. And certainly in the church that we're part of in the Stowell, I know many of you have been out there on men's trips, visited the church, and uh, wonderful church founded by JP and Fidelma Walsh, built it up over the years. And uh, we get quite a mixture of people coming through. And uh, recently, uh, a lady came through uh, finding a way back to the Lord somehow and spoke to one of us and said, I'm worried you, you would reject my sister. You would reject my sister. Uh, she's very needy. She's got problems. And we said, why? She said, well, she's living in a gay relationship. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want her. And we said, of course, we'd be delighted to see her. She's welcome to come. And I think we've, we've got to have that heart. We've got to have the heart. People come in uh, for a variety of reasons. But of course, um, the emphasis ultimately, yes, it's a place for people to build their nests, to fly in, to come in, but it's even your altars, uh, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. You know, the altars of God speak of that place, ultimately of Calvary, of repentance, of the shed blood of Jesus, where people really come through for God. Yes, we are to have open hearts and welcome everybody in. We need to keep that inclusivity. But for people, we need to recognize too that for people to go on in God and come into the real presence of God, they need to come to the altar of God, to that place of, to their encounter with Calvary to the crucified Christ, for the need for repentance, for the shed blood of Jesus, to cleanse them thoroughly. So we hold both of this. Yes, the sparrows, the swallows, anybody who flies can come in. And I've noticed, but at the same time, our heart's prayer for them is that they'll have their encounter with Jesus and the cross and salvation and a new life in God that's cleansed from sin. I think we need to recognize too, it struck me recently just before we left uh, the place where we live in the southwest of Ireland, a beautiful bungalow that's been, that we share with a lovely brother and out on a farm complex overlooking um, the Atlantic Ocean and across to the Dingle Peninsula. You'd love it out there, you know. <laughs> and I thank God for those who've come out to visit us. But I noticed recently the swallows have been building their nests in the eaves, you know, and it's wonderful to see them. But no doubt when we go back, they'll be gone. They'll be gone. They come in for a season. I think we need to recognize there are people who fly into churches, come in, build their little nest for a time, flutter around, and they flutter off. I hope. I, and we recognize that. We have all sorts of people come into our church there in Ireland. They've been, well, known them for years. They haven't seen them for years. Oh, well, decided to come to church again and... And then they flutter away again, and uh, they're welcome, of course. We we'll always welcome them. But of course, ultimately, we want to be those in verse 4. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They don't just, don't, don't ever be a bird that just flutters in and flutters out. You know, commit yourself somewhere, wherever, to commit yourself. Dwell in the presence of God. These are the people who will still be praising you. God is, God is in the business of building Christian character. People are going to be still praising him. 
And what a wonderful verse that follows. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Some translations say, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Um, it comes down to the same thing ultimately. Blessed are those who are people who have a pilgrim outlook. I suppose here in Southampton we have a wonderful picture of what it is to be a pilgrim because it was from Southampton in the Mayflower boat that the Pilgrim Fathers set out from England to go to America to looking for religious freedom. There's a wonderful picture of people who are prepared to leave all that they knew, the security of home, and set out for the new world. They were very, very brave people. And that's the kind of heart and spirit God wants us to have. People with a pilgrim outlook, or not clinging on to just what they have and their comfort zone. They want, God wants people to have a pilgrim outlook. Um, and praise God, I believe this morning we've had wonderful examples of people who are setting out on pilgrimage. The five there out in the Congo. I think they're going to find it very tough at times, but they're willing to do that. They're willing to set out with a pilgrim heart to do it. I praise God for Tim and Laura out there in Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong sounds very glamorous, but when you're out there, you know, in the heat and humidity and whatever, and the crowds of people, it's not quite so glamorous as it looks on television. I thank God for those people who go out with the Hazel Project around the streets of central, of central Southampton, ministering to the homeless. I, I read their reports each week, each week. I'm very moved by, by what goes on there. People with a pilgrim attitude. And uh, I want to encourage all of us to have that kind of disposition. If we have the attitude, we will stay young in heart. Never grow old. I can say that. I think the oldest here, don't get old in spirit. You know, you settle down somehow spiritually. I'm not suggesting you have to go across to the Congo. You may go there or uh, wherever. You can be right here in Southampton and never move from your home, but you can have a pilgrim attitude. You have a flexibility of disposition and mind. You're not so set in your theology, in your understanding of everything, that you're not willing to change. Of course, we don't move away from the great truths of the Bible. But I find over the years, God brings new revelation, at times uh, new ideas, and you think, I've got to re rethink this one through, my, my whole concept of that. And I'd like to challenge you, where have you with your th thoughts about various truths in the Bible, about the coming of the Lord, the role of Israel, the role of the church? Are, are, you, are you open to new ideas? You know, there's so much available out there on the internet, and we see in our church bulletin that Ellen puts together, I love the plethora of activities, conferences, workshops. There's so much to engage in. And praise God for people who are willing to say, I'm open, God. I'm willing to try that. And maybe you go to some conference or some meeting and you come away and think, Ugh, not for me. Well, praise God, you tried it. But you know, there's an openness. You've got a pilgrim heart, a pilgrim mentality. So some of us, you know, need to be shaken up a bit. Let's get out of this sort of 
routine where you're like a tram that simply goes down the same tram tracks forever. You know, you want to become a bus, you know, you're flexible. <laughs> Prepare to move around a bit, try a different route and see what, and you know, I think when we're around people like that, it's exciting being around them. There's nothing worse than being in a prayer meeting with a group of so-called charismatics or evangelicals like a lot of hard-boiled eggs who sit there solidly on their seats and really have nothing to say or pray about. That is so depressing. Let's be excited about what God is doing. Let's develop that pilgrim attitude. Let's ask God what he wants to do in us and what, what's the next stage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, some, they make it a spring, the rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca, some translations say the valley of weeping, the valley of balsam trees. It was a place of dryness, a dry place, the thirsty valley. And it's, uh, it, it speaks really of times of testing, of dryness. And in my experience in the, the life and development of every believer, God will take us through wilderness experiences. I suppose the wonderful, we have a wonderful picture of that in, in, the, in the nation of Israel. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, God is speaking to Israel and telling them why he took them through the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. During these times of testing, wilderness experiences, God is there. God is there and he's allowing these difficulties and challenges. They're not all coming from the enemy. You don't blame the devil for everything, you know. God is allowing that because he wants to see what your heart is. I remember when people used to come and join our team out in Hong Kong, they'd say, what, uh, ask for input or advice, say the greatest thing God is going to do as you come here and onto the field in China is to test your motivation. Why are you really here? Why are you doing the things that you're doing supposedly for God? What's your real heart motivation? to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I think if we look back at probably people we've known over the years, some who walked with God and are not there now, sadly, the testing time came and they were not willing to obey the commandments of God. Verse 3, so he humbled you. Praise God for the times when God humbles us, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is our food, the word of God. And I trust we're into the word of God every day. Every day I find more and more I need to be into the word of God. How can we get through our days and be sustained in life if we're not being fed by the word of God. And it says, as they go through those wilderness experiences, they make it a spring. 
Something in the dry, it's dry out there, it's testing, and maybe you're going through a testing experience today, a difficult time. God has allowed that to challenge you, to test your heart, to see what's really there, what your motivation is. And out of it, God wants a spring of water, a spring of life to flow. And the rain also covers it with pools. Something, there'll be so much blessing that will come through your life, there'll be something that others can drink from. Pools of blessing, pools of blessing. Praise God. They go from strength to strength. That's God's heart to cause us to grow. The most important thing God wants to do in the church today is not dazzle people with signs and wonders. Over the years, I hear people say to me, why aren't we seeing signs and wonders? And uh, somebody left our church recently on and said, oh, I want to go somewhere where, you know, when you pray for them, they collapse on the floor, you know. Well, well we've seen all of that in past years, and we've experienced it ourselves, and praise God for that. But that's not ultimately the the heart of what God is doing, he is building his church and he's building character. God wants to put the, his character into your life and he will use the most humbling experiences and the most challenging experiences to test you to build the character of Jesus Christ in your life. Each one appears before God in Zion. You know, Zion, the whole concept of Zion, it's, it's a theme you could explore in Scripture. What is Zion all about? Many ideas, but I think Zion to me embodies the government of God, the government of God, being under the authority of God, the government of God. And the more and more as we grow in God, we come under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the authority of God. And that's what God is wanting to do with all of us. So we're not kind of free souls just doing our own thing, kind of wacky, whatever. No, we're coming under the discipline of God, under the God of Zion. Oh, Lord God of hosts. A wonderful expression, is it? God of hosts is talking, I believe, of the hosts of angels and heavenly and supernatural powers. And we need to remember that as we pray, you know, uh, sometimes we can get a bit chummy with God and uh, he's my best pal and that's true, but he's the God of heaven. He's the God of hosts, the whole supernatural orders and the angelic orders that were all created by him and they're there to minister to us. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Wonderful, this emphasis upon Jacob, as we know that Jacob, even the name Jacob means supplanter, somebody who was a deceiver, somebody who tried to grab whatever he wanted. He took the blessing from his elder brother. He took the birthright from his elder brother. But God saw there was something in his heart that would hold on until he got the best in God. And there's that wonderful description of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God. And God said, the angel says, let me go. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I believe God is looking for people like that who are saying, I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to hold on to God in prayer. And I'm not going to let go until I know the blessing of God. God is wanting to people, uh, a people with a Jacob heart. And of course, the Jacob becomes an Israel. 
O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. And, you know, this reference to shield and the anointed is probably referring, is probably a prayer for the king of Israel. He was regarded as the shield and the anointed one, you know, the, the holy oil was poured over the head of the monarch, as indeed it was poured over the head of Elizabeth II at the coronation, since that they're the anointed of God. And I think this very important, this prayer comes in here, oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Up to now, the, the psalmist's attention has been on himself and on God. This relationship, this passion for God, holding on to God. But God is giving him a bigger vision, a bigger remit. He's saying it's not just all about you. It's about a much bigger scene. And his heart cries out, oh God, bless, like bless the king. And I believe that if we're really moving on in God and in a relationship with the Lord, with, with the Lord we, our attention will not just be focused on ourselves. God will put a burden on our heart to pray for, those, for others, for those in authority, for this nation. I like the way in the church now, there are several prayer meetings. There's the prayer for China meeting has gone on for over 20 years. Uh, not in this church, in other churches, there are prayers for, prayer groups for Israel, there's a prayer group for the Congo. God is looking for people who've got a, a bigger heart than just praying for themselves. And, and they have a sense that God wants to use them in prayer and intercession to pray for those in authority, to pray for this nation, to pray for whatever God lays upon your heart. Oh, may God give us a, a bigger vision beyond just our own self. I'm sometimes concerned I go to prayer meetings and there are long, long silences and I think there's a whole world to pray for. <laughs> why, why are you sat there like that? Come on. Praise God. Let's give, may God give us a bigger vision than just me. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. A wonderful picture is a day in your courts, a day in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a door, I'd rather stand at the door, I think is the original. I'd rather stand at the door in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This really is, is the real test, I suppose, of the person, the man or woman of God, who is really 100% committed to the Lord. What are your priorities? Who are you trying to please? Where, would, where at the end of the day would you rather place yourself? When I was in uh, professional life, um, I found um, as a Christian, when I really came through for the Lord, there were constantly challenges do I go along with the system? Do I, I was in two areas, I won't go into the two areas of professional, different, different stage professional life. And the appeal of those in authority was, um, oh Cyril, bend a bit here, you know. Go along with the system. Turn a blind eye to that. You know, if you want to get on, if you want a promotion, go with the system. Uh, all those radical Christian views, just keep them to yourself, and so on. And you will find, as you go on 
in your work, wherever it is, social life, the challenge comes. Where would you rather spend your life? Or who are you trying to please? Is it truly the fact you want to be in the presence of God? That's what's most important. Um, you're not opting to please the world and the system and to try and get its rewards. There's a challenge there. And I, I hopefully most of us are not opting to spend our time in the tents of wickedness. I hope that's true. We don't, we don't, we're not going out there to nightclubs or looking at uh, horrible things on the internet. We're choosing to move in, in areas where there are godly people. But when it comes to these very real questions of who are we trying to please, are we saying, most of all, I want to please the Lord. I just want, if I'm just standing at the doorway of the house of God, that's more important than getting success, promotion, whatever in the world. My heart, my identity is with the things of God. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. That's a wonderful picture there. It's almost a mixed metaphor. The Lord is a sun gives light, it's also a shield, a protection. And there's no doubt when, the people, when people come through for the Lord, they come into the light of God. Gab and I were delighted about 10 days ago, we went to stay in our daughter's home and our, to keep an eye on things while they went away. And our 21-year-old grandson, who's really been very, very wayward, and I, I really warm to your encouragement to keep praying for people. And we, we pray for our grandchildren at least twice a day, especially those who are out there in the world and what a horrible place the world is. Anyway, we prayed for them and you think, oh, you know, in the natural you can't see anything changing. But anyway, he greeted us and said, Nanny, Granddad, I want you to know I've given my life to Jesus. Wow. And he said, uh, wow, if you want to hear all about it, he said, well, wait till we've had a meal. I want to sit down. I want to talk with you and pray with you. And he said, I shared this complex scenario of how he'd come to the place of giving his life to Jesus. And we could see the difference. And he said, I can see now when I have been doing all the things that I've been doing I can look by now and say, I was in darkness. There was something dark in there. And now I'm aware I'm in light. And that's wonderful, isn't it? When we come into the things of God, we come into light. So let's hold on, keep praying for these, and stay in the light, you know. And, um, and we encourage them to say, if you want to stay in the light, keep away from the world, you know. It's true of all of us. If we're losing the light of God, Look at what we're looking at, what we're doing. We want to stay in the light of God and a shield, protection. He will protect us. Um, however difficult or challenging the areas are that we go into. And Gab and I, when we lived in Hong Kong, we were working with drug addicts and with triad gangsters. And some of the areas we went into were incredibly dangerous. But we knew God was our shield. If you're going under the authority of God, you have the shield of God. And we can take this wonderful promise, the Lord will give grace and glory. And we need both of these, the grace of God, particularly when there are challenging 
difficulties. And uh, there's no doubt when we set out on pilgrimage, when we make that decision, I'm going to go for God, I'm setting out on pilgrimage, um, there will be challenges and difficulties. I can, you know, I think many of you know when Gabriel and I stepped out into the mission field over 35 years ago, what, into Hong Kong, we, we sold everything and we bought one-way tickets. That's all we had for ourselves and three of our children. I think when we set off, we had 100 pounds. That's all we had. We didn't know where we would live in Hong Kong. We didn't know what we'd eat or anything. But anyway, God provided and we... We took up residence in one of the outlying islands, Lama Island. I don't know whether you've been there yet. Anyway, we've been out to Lama Island, the part of Ireland where we lived in. We were the only Westerners. It was wonderful kind of pioneer missionary stuff. And uh, to get back to the main Hong Kong Island, there was a converted fishing junk that was a ferry. It cost about $3, uh, which is about 30 pence to get to the... Hong Kong Island, there were, there were times we did not have the money to get on the boat. We thought we're stranded here, we can't do anything. No money to get even on the boat and go over there. Not that we had any money to spend when we got there. That's when you need grace. You need the grace of God to say, God, you led us here and we're trusting you. And I, I thank God every time, somehow, supernaturally, people arrived and put money in our hands and times too as we were on that island building up a mission team a mission base for sending people into China I praise God that work it still goes on today and uh, I remember we were building up a team and a lovely sense of you know the work is gathering momentum international team I remember one day a young lady from New Zealand who'd come to join us and uh, she said Oh, Sir and Gabriella, I just feel the Lord is saying to me, I shouldn't be living out in this remote island. I, I, I've got a ministry that's opening up on the main Hong Kong island. I think I should be over there. Oh, you know, you think that's going to be difficult. You know, we've got a big program here. But our, our policy was never try to persuade people if they felt they should go, well, send them with a blessing. So then we spoke to the couple from UK. They'd come from a church in Bournemouth who were our main administrators and said, oh, I've got some sad news, this young lady is leaving us. We're gonna to have to carry more work between us. And they said, well, actually, we should let you know that we've been given the opportunity to move into a ministry on another island that's always what we've longed for. Oh, wow, that's when you need grace. You need the grace of God. And, of course, God will never let us down. I praise God that within, within days we'd received applications from Australia, from two couples who wanted to come in, and actually the, the team, rather than contracting, increased. God will give grace and glory in the times we need to experience the glory of God. I just praise God for our Monday evenings when we're in Ireland, we go to a very challenging housing estate in Limerick, Limerick City. It's the Myros um, housing estate, pastures. I mean, number of murders in that estate. Um, I think even the police move there carefully. But wonderfully, we have a wonderful, a wonderful uh, Monday evening outreach meeting, which um, meets in an unusual place. It's, it's an indoor basketball court. It's the most unkind of 
congenial place to meet, really. You know, it's not good. The acoustics are not good, and the sounds echo round, and it's whatever. But praise God, the glory of God comes down. I must say, the sense of the presence of God, the sense of the presence of Jesus, the prophetic flow, and is quite remarkable, particularly the times of singing in the Spirit. There's one lady who was at death's door a few months ago, wonderfully restored, and it's, it's like having Maria Calla singing away in the Spirit. Such a wonderful breakthrough in the Spirit. Amen. The Lord will give grace and glory. No, and we need to take this promise, especially during those t- testing times. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you're walking uprightly and you know that, there's nothing that Satan can accuse you of in the way you're walking, the way you're handling your life and your resources. You can say, I am believing that God will withhold no good thing from me. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who trusts in you. Amen. Let's pray, shall we?